This show is part of the Darkmore Podcast Network. To join our community Discord or see more content from our members, visit darkmorepodcasts.com. Hey, it's just working. Okay, there we go. That's weird. Okay. It is weird. Thumbs up from everybody else. Yay. Yeah. All right. One, two, three. Is how it sounds. Every <laughs> Somehow time. I feel like Sarah's was way off. Do you want to clap again? Is yeah, let's, let's just do one more. One, two, three. <laughs> we'll work with it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. you how this works i have listed in the google doc something like 50 questions probably that our audience has all sent in uh congratulations audience you did a huge job you all poured your um your effort into this and it's very obvious um i don't know if we're gonna get to all of them we're gonna try though damn it we're all gonna ask each other things after you ask a question mark it off by like highlighting it or something. I don't know. Um, oh, Aaron just texted me saying, I thought of a question. Aaron, hop in. Jump, in. jump in the room. I'll turn Everybody's your video recording off. Is you can right? be the first yeah. question. You can be the first question, Aaron. Yeah. You're right. You She's right, you're coming right. into the room. I'm just saying that. Wait, well, come on. Get it get yeah. next to the mic. We clapped no, already. We did all that wait, stuff. We're recording? Yeah. No, <laughs> did, Jesse, did you not clap or anything? I'm just pulling your drum. Sounds like a great okay. time. <laughs> Yeah, as I say, don't threaten me with a good time. Come up next to the mic. Yeah, video's up. Great, great, great. Steven, every time I see your hair, it looks better and better. <laughs> That's not the question that she was planning anyway, to ask. I just wanted to know who inspired Colonel Anders, because that is such a strong character. <laughs> that the person was just really, really wonderful. Go to hell, Aaron. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I gotta say, I like cried laughing when I when we first encountered Colonel Anders. Like just like listening through, I was like, "Oh my god, I cannot believe this is here." For the audience, there's there's of course Colonel Anders being a playoff of Aaron Anders, my life, and Colonel Sanders, the mascot guy. Yeah, 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 the person who's uh, dipping his toes into the console wor- world now. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm- the the KFC console, the computer with a chicken warming tray. It's going to be like $2,000. Okay, it can't be real. No, it's definitely real. It has like basically what seems to be like top of the line computer specs for right now um, and a chicken warming tray. So, you know. I didn't realize just how far <laughs> KFC has gone, but they have been like God tier shit posting for a while. Um, <laughs> yes. And I am so here for that like high effort, mm. low yield shit posting that I absolutely want to buy that when it becomes available. Just for like to add yet another layer of I yeah, can't. Yeah, like from this the, the KFC dating simulator what? to the um KFC D and D um characters. Like they're they they go ham. KFC a recipe for seduction, lifetime original mini movie. <laughs> wow. I like like So anyway we're all gonna do the mailbag. Cool. So where do we want to start? So I guess Aaron got the first question in. Congratulations, everybody! This is our four-year anniversary episode. We're recording this on Woo-hoo. December twenty-seventh. In four days, it will no five days. It will be January first, which is both Zach's birthday and also Advantage's birthday. So happy birthday to us both. I, I really struggle to believe that we're four years old. Like when I think about it, I'm like, have we really been doing this for that long? <laughs> I just think it's funny to think it's about how awesome. we've been doing this for four years and we're level eight. <laughs> <laughs> I teach at a preschool and we are older than many of the children in the class that I teach in. That's crazy. Well, let's jump in. First question. Uh, an easy pitch. How does it feel to have been a part of this project for four years? That's a question from our uh, friend Gavin with Playing Out of Character, a Darkmore Podcast Network show. Hey. How does it feel to have been a part of something like this for four years? I mean, it's cool, I guess. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like we're the most consistent D&D group of any of my like friends here in San Antonio, like nobody can be consistent. <laughs> 
Like, we can't. Everyone's too busy. Everything sucks. Like, even before the pandemic, like, it was really, really hard to be consistent. Um, So it's nice to have this as something that is consistent and is D&D for literally that long. So that's what I really like about it. It's, I think anybody listening to this podcast knows it's really hard to get everybody together and, like, sit down and play. I mean, it's difficult enough for us, but we have managed to do it for four years. So that's real. I think that speaks a lot to, I think my favorite part is just, you know, obviously getting to spend time with with you guys as, as friends and stuff. And I think that having this podcast, this project has really helped, obviously, because if we were just like, say, trying to meet and play D&D once a while, we probably just would have stopped a long time ago. Oh, yeah. If we didn't have specifically like a podcast and supported by fans and all that kind of stuff you know all, like it's just it's it's awesome i remember conversations we've had before and i think probably on the last mailbag that we've done too that like this was originally like yeah we were making content for the rest of the world and all that but like it was so we could all keep being homies and interact post college um cuz like a lot of us i well we, i guess we all went to the same college um, and so this was a good way for us to stay connected. So, like, that's been the coolest part to me is, like, you know, it's been cool that we've been able to stay connected and, like, I love you guys and it's fun to play. But seeing, like, a community grow around this has been really interesting and really, really really awesome honestly and like seeing people talk about, like, what they love about the show or, like, characters or what, like, that's as a thing that was mostly started for us to just kick it that like seeing a, a community grow up around that has just been the craziest thing and like it's still surprising anytime somebody like talks about the show or is like i'm a fan i'm like oh my gosh that's so neat i'll ask one because uh, i'm actually curious about so if the Wild and shadowfell are entered through a shift in perspective how do you get to the upper and lower planes elemental planes the far realms do they even exist in our world um, also, what's your favorite piece of lore about the world? The first question was by Ian, one of the hosts from Dungeon Master Shower Thoughts. The party has been to the Feywild on purpose and has purposely shifted into the Feywild with intention by like forcing themselves into a, a mindset of curiosity and engagement and interest uh, in order to... I guess, lift a veil and and see a whole new version of uh, the cusp. So the question is, how do you get to the upper and lower planes, elemental planes, far realms, etc.? With with the upper and lower planes, many of them are astral dominions in the astral sea. Uh, these are the, the realms of gods who in the astral sea have uh, carved out and created their own space. And these uh, are the innumerous stars that you see in the sky above. And for the elemental planes, it's part of the elemental chaos below the cusp. These You could literally take a shovel and dig down into the earth as tragic hero Dondon Bellow of myth and lore dug way, 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 way down and entered the elemental plane. What about the abyss and the nine hells? The abyss is a part of uh, the elemental chaos, and the nine hells are a constellation in the astral sea. Okay. And the far realms are, so you know how the cusp is a perfect circle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, astral sea above, the elemental chaos, low, and then on all sides is a great wall of cloud and fog. That is the ether, and then somewhere deep, deep, deep within the ether is the far realms. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Then Riley asked, what is my favorite piece of lore about the world? And I've got to say that I'm pretty jazzed about the stuff that I wrote literally last night and put in a Google Doc on the Advantage General Discussion page uh, on the DPN Discord uh, about the formative gods of Kolgafir. That's super fun to write. My favorite piece of lore is the fact that like anyone can become a god, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you if you just have enough people believe in you. Yep. I think that's really cool. I like the like weird overlap between the spirits and the pantheon. Yes. Dang it, Steven. Yeah. I it's so I like it because like that feels 
as as realistic as anything in this world can be. Like that feels like realistic. <laughs> that, yeah, I I I feel like if there were deific beings in a in in a world like this, they would be interpreted and viewed and worshipped and participated with in different ways by different people. And there wouldn't necessarily be this coherent, like, oh, they're definitely this way all the time. And they're all totally different. Yeah. I think if you look at, like, the development of, like, religions in our world, like, many of them having similar roots, but, like, vastly different, you know, interpretations and versions. So I, that's my favorite part. I just think that's a really, a really neat thing. Here's a question for Sarah in a similar vein. Uh, this is from Bros Rock on Discord. Mm-hmm. Does Morlinde have any spirits that she considers to be her favorite or most important? I was thinking about that question. I'm thinking about, like, there's ones I like because they are, because I like them, like, personally. And then there's ones I think Morlinde would like. So, like, I personally really like Little Dragon just because of, like, chaotic element almost. But that's just me. And I don't think Morlinde is, like, different well, for that. Little Dragon, canonically, was very important to Isatalos. Little Dragon got wind of the goddess Kala's intent to plunge the cusp into the forever winter and told the East Italian band of elves to like bunker down and make a city because you can't, you're not going to be able to like go through this nomadic lifestyle that you've been doing during the forever winter. So yeah. prep yourself. Like historically, yes. But I think in like Morlande's experience, mm. the great bear, I think we have just encountered and has helped us enough. That's true. Um, that that's like her like go-to. Um, and then I also think the Great Watcher is just really cool. Just like the idea of somebody who's always watching but not really doing too much. What I like about the spirits is that there are so many. That's also what I don't like about them because I can't hold them all in my brain and I always have to have my cheat sheet. <laughs> Does Morlinde also have the same cheat sheet? Maybe. <laughs> Can we give Morlinde canonically terrible memory? I mean, she kind of does. That's true. Just based on mechanically me having to reread everything before every session. This is also a question for Sarah from Wise Jazzer on Discord. Quote, will Morlinde ever shapeshift into an animal? <laughs> like, ever. Okay, okay, okay. So if you remember, very early in the series, I tried to do wild shape into something that was like way beyond our current level because it was early in the series. So we were probably like a level two, mm-hmm. maybe a level three. And at those levels, you can only wild shape into like a tadpole or a squirrel or a frog, like really little things. And so I wanted to wild shape into like a wolf or something, but I obviously did not read what levels can do what at that point. And then I was, I kind of like nixed it because I was like, nah, I don't want to be little animals, totally ignoring the crucial like espionage element of that Mm -hmm. and like tracking, like things that would have been really, really helpful. So um, I was just salty that I couldn't like be a wolf or whatever I was trying to... (laughs) Uh, turn into at that point. So that's what it was earlier on. And then I like forgot about it. Um, and this is something I'm learning about myself like right now as a almost 27 year old human is that like, I really can't remember anything and I need to write everything down. And like my character sheet isn't as clear as it needs to be on those things. I, I have the same problem. Morlinde might remember that she can wild shape or learn that she can wild shape something like that pretty soon just because now we're high enough level I can like wild shape into all the things plus I mean we can make that work I think it's just canonically because I am forgetful that Morlande also is forgetful and or maybe didn't get it in her training (laughs) we could we could work it anyway (laughs) so yes I I think soon she'll turn into an animal now that I have my pick I could be like a giant octopus now. Have you seen the thing about octopuses like punching fish sometimes? Punching? What? No. No, but I believe it. Yeah. Okay, look, it's this article I keep saying. I've not read it. I, it could be total pseudoscience, but apparently some scientists discovered that octo- octopi will just like get really frustrated and just like randomly punch a fish just, just out of frustration. And. I want that to be true so bad. <laughs> um, so if it's fake science, sorry uh, for spreading misinformation. But what do you guys think about the the mantis shrimp? Oh, I you know, you know about that. No, I do know about the mantis. What? Shrimp. No, I don't. I catch those in Animal Crossing. The mantis shrimp can uh, punch at the same power as a 
22 caliber bullet. I hate that. Yeah, like I'm for the like it's is that like like to scale? Yeah, to scale. I'm pretty sure when this thing punches, like the water around it boils because it punches so yes, so hard. It does. Yo! That is the coolest thing I've heard today. That's got to be like a proportionality thing. It can also see like how many more colors than like, a lot more colors than like a hundred colors or something ridiculous. It's it this it, it, little animal's like super crazy. The mantis shrimp. Look it up. Look up the mantis shrimp. This is from Bros Rock on Discord. What are your jobs, IRL? <clears throat> I am a teacher, band director in public schools. Uh, I do also teach like piano lessons and stuff, but my my main job right now is is teaching in public schools. Same. I am also a teacher, so that's three teachers. I am the assistant teacher in the outdoor classroom at a Montessori school, which is super fun. Yeah, I love Montessori. I purchased Magic the Gathering cards uh, for Star City Games. I work at a gas station. Hopefully not for too much longer. Yeah, I work 3, like 9 p.m. to 7 or 8 a.m. and then 1 2p to 9 to 10p that's rough i wanted to ask that question specifically because i was talking to gavin the other day from playing out of character we were just like commenting on like how many teachers there are in the darkmore podcast network (laughs) and like i think it's probably a pretty common thing just in like D &D in general i feel like there's a lot of like teachers who play I thought that was an interesting thing, the the sheer volume of, of teachers that are in the Darkmoor Podcast Network. Yessie, were you ever an education major? I was an education major. Because I was yes. also an education major yes. at one uh, point. There's that. So, Pedagogy. So at one point, all of us had the potential to be, have become teachers. <laughs> so I don't know about you guys, but like I love sharing D&D with people who like have never done it before. Mm-hmm. D&D is particularly fun like for me, essentially as a teacher, like I I have a a campaign that I've been running. We haven't been playing much this semester where I guess we're gonna try to get into the new year and it's all entirely new people they've never played before. That helps me both because I'm not great at the mechanics. And so like, if there was somebody who was way better at it, I would not be a very good DM for them. But also like, I like to teach people how to play. And so I, th- I don't know how many of the rest of you have that same impulse, but I feel like there's probably a fair amount of us that do. Uh, no, I agree. I, I really like teaching people how to play D&D. Yeah, I almost bought a D&D starter kit as a Christmas gift <laughs> for someone. Precious. That's awesome. Nearly. I have a theory because I know a lot of teachers who D&D as well. And also like I connect with a lot of teachers across the country through being a member of both of the larger teacher unions. So like I go to like a lot of conferences and stuff. Um, not lately, obviously, but like a lot of teachers play D&D. And I think it's that like intersection of nerdiness and organization and ability to communicate with humans on the reg. Teachers are nerds, period. <laughs> and then teachers can get organized enough to figure out their character sheet. <laughs> So why haven't you figured out your character sheet? Dang. Because I'm real tired of playing a druid. Straight roasted. Uh, Sarah, I don't think that you meant to say this out loud as like a great segue, but I'm going to ask anyway. Uh, This is from Jonah. Is it a secret that y'all are using some new characters in Arc 3, or is it just unannounced? Is it a secret? I don't know, like... Well, they consider this the official announcement that we will be using two new characters in Arc 3. Yeah, Grimton dies. <laughs> <laughs> is Grimton going to continue adventuring, if, like, depending on what happens in her dearth? Let's let Sarah answer. <laughs> I am sick of playing Drew. Um, yeah. Before we uh, continue on this, we're not going to give any like yeah. details about what Correct. the characters in Workshop are. New thing is. Too late. I already know it's not. You already know it's By process of elimination, you can scratch Druid off the list. I like Morlinde as a character, but it doesn't really make sense for her to continue traveling when she's got like a whole ass job that she's currently not doing in Arc 2. So uh, in Arc 3, she's going to go back and do her job and I'm going to play somebody else. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Nice. Similarly for me, like, you know, Ulrich, uh, actually, this is another one of the questions, I think, for me specifically, maybe? Yep. Um, yeah, is there, yeah, just some guy asked, is there tension or conflict with being the chief arrow of the Warden Scout for Nui Talos, but being distant for so long? And the answer is yes. 
Auric doesn't have a compelling reason necessarily, unless one presents itself, which is hypothetically possible. I don't know the future. Um, but like as things stand right now, once whatever we're doing is resolved, Auric doesn't have a compelling reason to keep going off and adventuring. Their job, their home, their life is now Nuisa Talos and being the chief heir of the Warden Scout for that. That's that's really why it is for, for, for me. Um, now, the interesting thing though is like, neither Sarah or I or anyone know like what the end of those characters' arcs look like. Mm -hmm. um, I, I will never forget a conversation that, that has just been looming in the back of my mind where Joe asked us all about heroic deaths. Oh God. <laughs> and I, that information has never been used, but it's chilling back there. So like, <laughs> I, I don't know exactly how Ulrich's arc will end, but I don't plan to continue uh, Ulrich's direct story at least into arc three one thing i think is interesting about potentially laying these characters to rest is that i feel like the reason they're venturing right now is because there is an existential threat to isatalos mm -hmm. that they can directly deal yeah. with but if we deal with that threat and then there's just another bigger existential threat that could potentially be affecting isatalos how do you wrestle with that what why do they then be like well i can't deal with that bigger threat now i need to stay here great question yeah i mean it's not dissimilar to to like our real lives like there's always a bigger threat there's always something else out there and i well i guess technically we could like level up to a point where like you know we could maybe deal with the interplanar threats we are ignoring responsibilities that we have to accomplish that and at the moment at least Auric mm -hmm. isn't thinking about you know being a Paragon tier, whatever, you know, getting to level 20 and having godlike power. Like, Auric is just thinking about, like, what they're doing, and, like, they'll definitely be down to fight that that fight when it becomes relevant, or, like, when it gets a little closer to home, it's just not their place to specifically take the fight to whatever it is, if that makes sense. Like, they have a sphere of influence, and they need to do the best they can within that sphere of influence, and by doing the things they're doing now, they're ignoring that. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And I, yeah, I'm in the same place of like, it, well, it's kind of more like the, the local versus global and everything in between on like that spectrum. And so like our characters are very like local leaders. And so they need to go and do that local job and like leave the global to other folks. You've got a direct sphere of responsibility that you need to attend to. Yeah, while the global does affect the local, the greatest influence that our characters have is where they're needed, which is the local. Sure, I guess then the question would be, what made Morlinde and Ulrich leave to go to her dirt? I think they thought it was going to be quicker. Uh, that's definitely part of it. Um, the, the directness of the threat, like we saw Warforged in the Watched Forest, as I recall it, or at least to how I feel, or how I remember feeling when we were talking about it, it was like, Ulrich almost didn't want to do this. Like, they they were kind of reluctantly, not dragged, but they reluctantly agreed to do this. But like, that's actually when I first started thinking about like Ulrich not really continuing because it was, it was hard for me to do some mental gymnastics to make uh, Ulrich go on this quest, let alone anything else. It was a hard pull. Um, they almost didn't go. I'll say it like that. But the 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 direct closeness of that threat, I think, is what did it. Now there are two people in the party that do definitely have a larger sphere of influence, uh, which are Grimton and Alaris as special legionnaires. Uh, this is a tandem question from just some guy on Discord. Do Grimton and Alaris do each of you want to be special legionnaires, or are you just Especially Janaires on accident. It kind of just happened. <laughs> I, I agree that it kind of just happened. I think that for right now, for Alaris, I think the perks are somewhat outweighing the downsides and it being connected to his actual homeland. Um, it's not, he doesn't think it's that big a deal to, to be a special legionnaire. Grimton has, similarly, yes, he <laughs> has a lot of bad feelings about the Pandominion getting their fingers on like a potential coup that's about to happen so like no not really 
Especially not after being debriefed by COs. There was definitely a point in our special legionnaire debriefing that we could have just not said anything and they would have just been like, oh, well, you guys are sucky special legionnaires, you're out. <laughs> not really, because they cast Cone of Truth. Yeah, they did cast Cone of Truth. I guess so. I don't really... I, I get it. They're running a military-like standpoint. But, like, uh, no, Grimton didn't like that. I think his days as a special legionnaire are numbered. Really? I don't know. Interesting. I, I don't like it. Like, him and Try might have some strong words at some point. I don't know. <laughs> Try did, it did feel like Try kind of tricked us into it. Well, I, not tricked. Trick. It was just that, like, forced. Yeah, there was a momentum to it. Or did it without really asking. Yeah, y'all were like, oh, okay, I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> yes, he... Where is home for Grimton? This was asked in the fun, drunken episode where you all were all celebrating with Lieutenant Colonel Try about her victory. But where's home for Grimton? I thought about that since then. And I also saw the question at one point when I was skimming. I think home for Grimton exists nowhere in the physical plane anymore. <laughs> like, Grimton's home is just in his memories. And now he's just like... A vagrant liberator of the people. Like, he has no, like, homestead. Uh, except for, like, the warm feelings he carries with him. He's a wandering samurai. Hadurth, as he knows it, is gone and is changing more rapidly than he can keep up with him. Like, he's old. Like, he's old, old. <laughs> and the Pandemonium is, like, a place where he keeps his stuff and he's made some new friends and it's enabling him to do more of what he wants, but, like, there's none of that like deeply rooted connection that he has in her earth, so it's weird. Yeah, he feels like he doesn't really have a, a home home right now. It's weird. I've got a question. How do the twags feel about being around Alaris's mom? It's the first mother figure they've spent an extended amount of time with. This is by Dragon Sapphira. Sapphira from Discord. Alaris's mom is my one of my favorite NPCs. I mean, having people like closer to Grimton's age is kind of cool. <laughs> None of these young whippersnappers. Just closer to Grimton's age, relatively. <laughs> Catherine Galdrum is like eighty, so. <laughs> yeah. And how old is Grimton? Well, you know, time is a spectrum. How, how old is Grimton? I always get this wrong because I always make him like way too old. Because I think. Like dwarves live like 500 ish years, but they only live like 300 ish years. So, while he's doing that, so you're like, yeah, he's like, he's like 450, and everyone's like, how is he even still alive? <laughs> this guy should right. be dead, yeah. I always <laughs> want to say like 400 to 450, and that's wrong because according to Google, they live about 350 years, so he's like about 300. I will say too, like, Steven, the player, just as like a listener and as a person, I just love Mama Gail Dream, I think she's fantastic. Ulrich also. It's nice to be mothered a little bit, particularly when you're not as connected to your own family as you as you were. I think that's a thing that like a lot of people and probably several of our listeners can relate to, particularly around this season. I've been doing a lot of thinking recently about like how complicated the holidays can be for people who have complex relationships with their, their immediate family. I think it's nice for Ulrich I don't know, to be around some mom energy for a little bit. And like, I also just think she's lovely and hilarious. Uh, this is from an anonymous person on, on Discord. Who is your most beloved NPC? And in tandem, who would win in a fight? <laughs> most memorable for me, I think about the hundreds of yes! thousands of Orlando <laughs> Beachtail. Like, ah, Orlando Beachtail. Really <laughs> but most beloved, I mean, I like the Ormain brothers a lot, just personally. I think they're cool. Who would win in a fight? They would argue. It's hard to argue against oh, Marge. Marge. For it's sure. pretty hard to argue against Marge. <laughs> yeah, Takas is probably pretty powerful. Takas is pretty powerful. powerful. I feel like I feel like he still defers to Marge. The real heroes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I think my answer is. It, I have to think about it a little longer, but might be the same. Like I love Orlando Beachtail. I think he's hilarious. And like, no. Let's let us not forget. Unless I've unless I haven't been paying attention. Morlinde still owes Orlander some mittens. This is true. Um, <laughs> That's very true. I'm going to recon, recon my last answer. I'm going to put money down on Erica Try. As there you go. Ooh. NPC to win a fight. Um, Dark Horse. I do wonder what level they are. You know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, I like Marge as a character a lot. I also really, really like um, Next Beat. Next Beat is pretty great. A lot. It's a yeah. too bad you betrayed her. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, look, don't say it like that. <laughs> don't say it like the truth, Joe. Do it for the plot. Plot gravity is hard to ignore. I think one of my most memorable NPCs is probably going to be Pony Esquire. Yeah. Know, there's Pony just something Esquire. about Pony, and uh, Most Beloved is probably just going to be um, default Maylin. So cute. Um, yeah, I forgot about Pony. Pony's great. I, I really enjoy Pony. He's good people. <laughs> Not really. No, he's good people. He's complicated. Yeah, he's good people. He helped us out in like every way. He's like your shady well, friend who like you know means well, but will definitely go through some we'll less than reputable processes. To, so he yeah, he is he is Saul Goodman fair. from Breaking Bad. <laughs> yes, that's always what I think about. He'll help you out, but you gotta watch out because you know he's probably carrying, so you don't want to get pulled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this actually, I really like this question. Are you enjoying this arc or the previous arc more? And that's from Bros Rock. What do you guys think? It's like picking your your favorite child. Actually, that's uh, a lie. It's very easy to pick I've, a favorite child. I think I've enjoyed arc two more than arc one. Interesting. I've enjoyed arc two more. I don't know. Just so far. Mm. Maybe it's because the stakes are higher for the me. The stakes yeah. are higher. For the Grimton, the... It may, may, and I think maybe it's because we're focusing more on selfishly. Maybe it's more because we're focusing more on like Alaris right. stuff in a way, of course, or Grimton stuff, you know, as opposed to Arc One that was very much Morland Day and Ulrich focused. For me, like, I'm kind of torn. It's really hard for me to like properly pick because like Arc One is done, so I can think of it as a complete unit, whereas Arc Two has a lot yet to be discovered. I, I think you're right that like some of it has to do with. Uh, you know, this arc is less Auric and Morlinde centered. It's been a while since I've listened like all the way, all the way through the show. But in my brain, there's been a lot of like silly moments, a few, several more silly moments in this half. I felt like arc one was really serious most of the time. And that's not bad. Um, in fact, I really, really enjoyed it. Those moments of powerful pathos are like awesome. I love it. I, I guess I, I feel like I haven't had, like I've, we had some, powerful moments in arc one that like i still dwell on um and there have been some good ones in arc two but like i mean even just the like last fight was so heavy it was so good um i loved it so like i I think i'd have to say tentatively for now arc one is still the fave so what you're saying is we need some more real like heart dropping moments in oh and like i i'm they're coming they have to be because like I can we, kill some people pretty easily. Well, <laughs> oh no, we we have so many like so many things that are currently like up in the air or like going to come to fruition or that we don't know about that when they all crash together and like it gets crazy, I'm sure it's gonna be ridiculous. Like it's gonna just be so much stuff. Yeah. But like as it is right now, I'm just anxious because all that stuff is up in the air and like waiting and like it's gonna hit us at some and point. And you don't know how to juggle. Mm-hmm. How are you gonna feel whenever we get back to delve deep or whatever, and uh, one of the Ormains has died? Yeah, I've been thinking about that. Meh. But remember, we're the B squad. A squad is 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 gonna is gonna do great. Yeah. So if anybody dies, it's gonna be one of us. <laughs> yeah. Better be. <laughs> Zach, what's in the puzzle box? I I have no idea. <laughs> oh, I know. Zach's puzzle box is um, where, is Sarah's wild shape. Like it's just a thing that's always there that we always forget about. No, I've never forgotten about it. I'm trying really. The whole reason we're here is to try to figure out how to get inside of. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You got me there. <laughs> I don't know. I know that Joe, you've said that whatever's in it, depending on how early we get it, could be very, very powerful. And it will. It will continue and remain powerful throughout even like arc four it could be a serious serious asset yeah it is an item that is appropriate for an arc four character what if it's a pokeball (laughs) interesting (laughs) what sort of creatures would go in your pokeball a dragon obviously yeah like a pocket dimension there's just like a platinum dragon in there chilling I honestly have no idea. I, I kind of want it to be a surprise, so I haven't done anything like dug through the like the Dungeon Master's Guide or something to try to figure out what magical item would fit in the box or whatever. I've not, I haven't done anything like that. Well, good news. You can um, do that, but it's not in the Dungeon Master's Guide. This is a homebrew thing. Well, good. Then <laughs> even better. Could it be like a wand of some sort, maybe? That could fit. Let's not limit ourselves to like things that will physically fit Yeah, the fit size. In the box. Like, 
There are bags it. of holding in this universe. You think the box could be a, a, a bag, like a bag of holding type it's, object? It's lined with a bag of holding. Ooh, I wasn't even thinking about that. Here's a fun idea. What if it's not even like containing anything? What if opening it is like a port key and you suddenly are teleported somewhere else? I'd be very annoyed. <laughs> Why would you be so annoyed? Because you did all this work trying to get where you're going. <laughs> Yeah, presumably it's either going to take Alaris way the heck away somewhere, or all of us way the heck away somewhere. <laughs> We're like trying to freaking do something. And we don't know if there's a return ticket. <laughs> there, you got me there. We could end up in like Sadal and be like, oh shit. All of our like, stuff. I <laughs> <laughs> did get all the way back. I'm hoping that when we play again, that we get some answers and that I get closer to figuring it out because I'm very, very curious about what's inside. Luckily, you won't have to wait too long. Yeah, like three days. Hopefully. All right, I've got, I've got, I want to do the next couple of questions okay. or one question. It's two, but they're for the same person. I noticed that Joe hasn't had any asked of them. It's two questions by different people, but they're really related. The first one is how far ahead in the story do you have planned? Asked by Mike Pretzels on Discord. Um, and then sort of secondarily asked by uh, DB Tiger, is there any advice you'd give to someone for someone looking to start their own podcast D&D or otherwise I, I was thinking about those because like I was talking to uh, I've talked to other people about like DMing and like everybody's a little different and, and, and people have commented to me before Joe but like how impressed they are with all the like prep work that you do and all the stuff that you have written out and all that world building and so I don't know just I guess like speak to that how far do you have planned and then like does it have to be that do you have to do all that for it to to be a cool compelling story or podcast in arc one I was already dropping seeds for arc four and have been cultivating those seeds since then and foreshadowing and growing and etc 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 does that mean Joe that you like have it written out oh, or God, do you just no, have like no, bullet no, no. points and outlines and ideas? Okay, yeah. I'm not to the stage of like bullet point and outline yet, but like I know generally what the central conflict is going to be. I know generally who the major, major players are and all of that is like way, 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 way off uh, in my spider web of world building and plot stuff that I've got in my head. I, I can see them off in the distance and I can help guide the narrative in that direction pretty easily because I, I, I can see where I'm headed. As far as is, is there advice for DM starting a new campaign, that would be have an end goal. It, it's fun to just go into a sandbox, but like there's very little narrative payoff if you don't have some sort of end in mind. Um, I remember back to the very, 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 very first campaign that I ever dungeon mastered when I was like a month into my time playing fourth edition D&D and Zach was a part of this group that had like 13 people in it yeah 13 people in it oh my uh, god yeah it was huge and I couldn't say no to any of my friends that said I want to play D&D too and I was like okay also I really don't know how to play Dungeons and Dragons and so I'm gonna defer a lot of my mechanic stuff to Zach who actually does know something the worst part about it is I didn't have an end in mind. I had a plot hook, which was fine, but I didn't have any resolution to that hook. Uh, I didn't have a direction that it was, there were no like through lines that I could string uh, session to session. In the end, it became like a, okay, so what? We did the thing. We, we got the treasure. So what? It was terrible and unsatisfying, and I am embarrassed by that, which is why then, like, two months later, I turned around and did Usurp Subversion yeah. with Steven, Yessi, Zach, and Blake Boss, who did our overture and such. And that that was my personal redemption. So I, if there is any advice for DM starting a new campaign, it's have something in mind that you're doing there. <laughs> I would highly recommend not going in just woo sandbox unless you feel like you can do that and then you know you might be able to make it work but for me i cannot i can't figure out a good way to like bullshit stuff into a good story so I, I sort of sort of did somewhat the opposite when i started my uh campaign that i've been doing for a little over a year now i started with some like generic adventures and just let them play their characters and then after we'd been playing for a while and i figured out what their characters who they were and what they wanted 
Then I built the big end thing based around what those characters were wanting, and then I just kind of seeded the end goal from there, as opposed to starting off with an end goal that I had in mind. So I think Mm. that you can do it a little bit of both ways, and I think that it's good to have an end goal at some point, but I think that you don't necessarily have to know where that end goal is before you even start rolling dice. That's fair. Joe, uh, I did want to also like, that's a lot of great stuff about DMing, but uh, also throw in some info about just like podcast starting in general. Oh yeah. That also kind of answers the one right above it, which is did you ever have any questions or doubts about being able to produce this podcast bi-weekly or even at all? So maybe just some like tips and tricks for for getting a podcast going and like release schedule and that kind of stuff. This is another one by DB Tiger. Is there any advice for somebody looking to start their own podcast, you do or otherwise? Yeah, be committed to it. Go in like knowing that this is a long-term project and that it's gonna be hard and you're not gonna know what you're doing a lot of the time and you're just gonna bullshit your way through it, but be committed to that process of learning and bullshitting. I, like, I've, I've gotten emails from f- fans that are so excited and they were inspired by Advantage to go in and create their own stuff. And I love that. I'm so, 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 so happy for those people. But then they said like, hey, I got together with a lot of my friends yesterday and then tomorrow we're gonna be recording the first episodes of our podcast. And I'm like, yo, (laughs) for me, for me, it gives me a lot of anxiety to go into something I view as a huge commitment of time and energy without, as I am seeing it, a lot of preparation and... commitment to making that the best it can be for for advantage like take what we did here it was six months between us pitching like even the idea of hey do we want to make a podcast yes okay and then six months of world building and character building before we sat down and rolled dice yeah you sent us that like in the summer right mm-hmm. yeah yeah because that whole summer we were doing all that freaking world building and and those 50 character questions. Not to mention, like, two years of actual play experience as a group. Like, Yeah, also true. Like, right. the, the synergy that we have, like, I feel totally confident that I can trust all of you as actors and as players and D&D enthusiasts, and I feel like I can trust you to meet this commitment. And even if at some point, like, you recognize that you can't meet this commitment, we can do our characters justice and step out gracefully rather than just like throw our hands up and walk away my advice for starting a podcast is be prepared and get your affairs in order before you just step into it um (laughs) did i have any questions or doubts about being able to produce a podcast bi-weekly or at all uh this is a question from bros rock yeah i mean we're not producing bi-weekly anymore like honestly (laughs) it's uh becoming every like three and a half week, four week thing because of, uh, I don't know, scheduling and commitment and stuff and it, and not having a huge backlog of episodes for us to work with put out between recordings. Yeah, I mean, I'm still doubting it, but the fact that we gave ourselves the goal, especially at first in the first like four years of, wow, the first four years of recording of every two weeks, this will come out. That gave us a schedule, it gave us credibility, it gave us an unspoken understanding between us and our audience that shows like, yeah, we're committed to this. You can trust us to continually publish this art for you to enjoy. And it's only because we have an already established backlog and reputation for being able to produce the show that I feel comfortable taking a little bit of time between producing episodes. This happened This happened uh, with the campaign after Usurp Subversion that I didn't get to play in because my life was spiraling out of control. My life. <laughs> um, but like Joe has always been very selective with like who they put together and even picking this like, yeah, we're all friends, but like we have more friends outside of this and so does Joe. Joe, Joe selected us because they thought we would be like a good mix and a good fit for this. So like thinking about like who you're doing this with, but then also, doing like having a schedule and all that it's definitely important to do that legwork early on so that you're like like joe was saying like established but one of the things that's fun is uh until you've started nothing stops you from making as much backlog as you want true and then (laughs) then so like they don't have to know that you you know the episodes that you drop 
two weeks apart were recorded all in the same week and you've just chopped them into pieces. Mm -hmm. Like, especially depending on what, what kind of content you're doing. So like spitball some ideas, do a little bit of like early stuff, show it to a couple friends, build up a backlog, set a schedule, and then just go. Um, on that note, I feel like we kind of learned podcasting by trial by fire. Basically, oh, yeah. we just kind of <laughs> jumped in and did it. Um, remember Zencaster? But, oh, boy, that was rough. I'm oh, sure Zencaster has its shit together now. I'm, I don't want to throw them I'm under sure. the bus. <laughs> if anyone is planning on starting a podcast, one, one thing that is good to note is you only have a certain amount of time to get in the new and noteworthy section on, like, Apple Podcasts. And the best way to do that is build a backlog and then release a bunch of episodes. Like, say your first week, you release like an episode a day. That gets you further up the charts. And if you're further the charts at the beginning, then you stay further up the charts later. Huh. Um, we have sort of done the opposite where we didn't know any of that. So we have just slowly <laughs> built a fan base over the course of four years. That's interesting. Um, I didn't even know that that was a thing that people could like gain. So people will purposely bank several episodes of their podcast to begin with at the first, and then they just release a whole bunch of it at the beginning. And that's how you get in the new and noteworthy ah. section. Huh. I'll go rid of those. Mm -hmm. Gotta play the game. The more you know. Joe, I've got another question for you. Okay. Any uh, DM tips for writing scene descriptions or scripts? Ooh, Joe's so good at this. Uh, thank you. There are a lot of people that do not do this the way that I do. So... Uh, this is a system that works for Joe. It does not necessarily work for everybody all the time. Right now, I am looking at a Word document that I have written out called Springwood Interior. And it's got a bunch of bolded headings of locations that I want to hit, like the Great Glass Palace and the Reliquy Tower, uh, the Celadron Seat and the Imperial Embassy and then underneath all these points are specific either uh, like flavor text that's essential to these things or like who's there and what are they doing and what types of things are they talking about and it's just bullet point after bullet point after bullet point and then later tonight i'm probably going to go back and form all that into descriptive paragraphs so I make sure that I have everything that I need ready to go and listed so I can just like go through and basically check everything off. Like, did I hit all the essentials in my descriptions? Did I portray what I needed to portray with the architecture style? And have I shown, have I described, have I told in um, the story of how this place is different from any other place that you have visited so far? The show versus tell way of storytelling, where um, instead of just going in and saying, hey, this spot is different because it's full of elves. Wow. And these elves are unique to the elves that you saw in Isatalos because X, Y, and Z. The telling way to do that, where it's just straightforward and you're not giving any room for players or listeners to like figure it out on their own and discover for themselves. I try to focus primarily on the showing aspect of it, like describing things so that you as listeners, players can put together the pieces on your own. At the, at the end of the recording session, you could look back and say, oh, I know how these elves in the Springwood are different from the elves that you met in Isatalos. And I have seen that through the way their architecture style, through the way that they carry themselves, through what their government systems are, how their governing systems are formed and what their politics look like. It allows players to pick all that up and to understand it like intuitively rather than like fact-based points that they can just list off because you handed them the the quick sheet of like, here's what you need to know. So I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> that's that's how I do it. Can I can I add a thing? I don't know that, if that's a word of advice. That I notice as like a player that you do that I really like. Definitely. A lot of times in your descriptions, you don't just like describe what we see. You often will describe like what we smell. So like you're adding other senses, but you also tell us like maybe an initial reaction that our character has. Like oh, when yeah, you walk into this place and you and you feel this. Yeah. I think it can be particularly really good for like newer players if you're playing with them because 
like, then they don't just like, uh, how am I supposed to like, neat, thanks for telling me these things. Like they have a, oh, I feel this way. And then they can come up with their own reason why. Like I personally- They're primed with a reaction. Yeah, yeah. and. And it doesn't ever feel constrictive. I don't ever feel like, well, what if I don't want to feel that way? You know, like it's usually like, okay, okay, that gives me a direction and I have a lot of creativity within that direction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it fits that nice balance of like, this is a game and we have places to go and Joe has to make sure we get there and <laughs> we're characters and players with our own agency. So it like hits that nice middle ground. I'm thinking in particular, uh, like scenes about the God's Dream early yes. in Arc 2. Ooh, those were where, good. Like I can describe the weird twisting, but to make sure that we're all on the same page, all of you hate it. All of you are uncomfortable with this. <laughs> Well, and making a mechanic too, like, hey, roll, roll your constitution, roll, give me. Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, helps a lot. And constantly expecting, ah, oh, shit, we gotta roll again. Ah, oh, shit, we gotta yeah. roll again. <clears throat> yeah, there's certainly an ominousness, ominimity on, and yeah, Sarah, I'm, I'm looking at you throwing your arms up, and mutual discomfort. Me not knowing. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I feel I like know. it's ominous, you, but... ominousness, but I, but like anonymity makes a lot of sense. Because like anonymity, like, you know, like anonymity. Um, There's language is it's all made up, and the points don't matter. <sighs> My keyboard's not connected. Um, um, well, and I think. I think too, Joe, it doesn't just help like guide the storytelling. It helps me as a player get in that mood. If I'm yeah. having to describe why my character feels depressed and like how that art, that helps me, Steven, the player, get in that headspace. Yeah, this is like, this is like changing the subject completely and going back to like player characters. Uh, who does Grimton think is fit to rule if slash when Grace Under is overthrown? And that's from Bros Rock again. Grimton doesn't like the monarch. Oh, I thought you were going to say Grimton is the one that's fit to rule. <laughs> Grimton wants to rule. Grimton, Good King Grimton is going to be the wandering liberator slash king of her dearth. No. <laughs> and he's going to liberate the cusp with his armies. No. Freedom or else. Grimton doesn't think one single person should be in charge like he doesn't like the monarchy or anything like that he he's much more a fan of ruling in some sort of congress now there still has to be like a leader i guess the person he trusts the most would be like kelly orlick who is the current like leader of the red capes as far as like putting another king on a throne like that seems very passe like nah do you think that Callie Orlick would have any interest in being the executive of a government? I don't think so. I mean, she's like, she's been in a gubernatorial, well, at least like gubernatorial adjacent. She's been like a general. So like, probably not. She probably got out for a reason, you know, but not necessarily about what she wants. I, it What doesn't need to happen is there be a power vacuum. That's why we're going to find this princess. Right. Uh, Steven. Okay. Uh, what would be the more rewarding story for Ulrich? Sorry, most rewarding, not more rewarding. Most rewarding. That was a typo on my end. If Ulrich could have their way, honestly, they don't really have a lot of strong feelings about what happens with her dearth and all that, as long as it keeps the watched for us safe. So they finish whatever, it, you know, we're going to do and whatever we do doesn't make things worse. <laughs> um, and then they can just go home and be chief arrow of the warden scout at home. And potentially what I think they would enjoy if they could make it happen is creating a, a like a nice stable life there and then finding a way to find their family and potentially bring them to the watched forest. Hmm. But like finding their family wouldn't be a thing they go out journeying to do. It would be a thing of letters and questions and getting into contact with lots more people and using using those contacts to figure out where they are and get them there rather than like going off gallivanting, trying to figure out where they are. Oh, which I see also talks about the next question. Uh, when do you think Ulrich will be able to meet with their family, if ever. I genuinely don't know, I'm not sure. Ulrich is in a weird place of, of wanting to see them and also kind of having given up, at least for the time, any ability to do anything about that. 
there's just since the beginning of the story there's been so much pressing that like they they both haven't felt like they could really spend time figuring out where their family is and acknowledging that that's such a large task with an ambiguous start point that it would it would take a while anyway like there's just nothing they could do about it early on and so they've that, that's still kind of carried with them they really don't know what they could even do about it right now but they do want to see it happen this is for the cast i guess if you had to play another person's character whose would you play that's from gavin from playing out of character and then joe added part two if you had to play an npc who would it be <laughs> i want to go first i would hands down play grimton um, because Grimton is an is an agent of chaos, and I love it. Like Grimton is my favorite character. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like full disclosure. Uh, and then if I had to play an NPC, playing a, a story arc as Takas could be really cool because that's like this big overarching interplan uh, interplanar. Yeah, like he gets like, to like teleport. Like that's dope. It is dope. Well, it's it's not even just, just that, but like clearly there are larger things at play with all of this that like Takus deals with. That, that's our that's our Paragon tier like quest level, <laughs> um, and so I feel like yeah. it would be it would be fun not just to do it, but like just to get that much info about the cusp that I don't already have, like to learn all about the like real like dense cosmology and like, you know, meet some of those gods maybe and like see the, the grander everything. I would want to play Morlinde. Interesting. Because I want to play a druid. Huh. I haven't played a druid ever. It seems dope. I mean, like Morlinde is a compelling character also. She has to watch out for her tribe, you know? But, like, he's a druid, and, like, face stuff is cool. Face stuff is cool. Face stuff is cool. NPC characters? I'm really vibing with Erica Try right now. I feel like she could really just slam her body through a wall and, like, <laughs> be very casual about it. She's, like, one person wrecking crew. I don't know. That's how She's I She's the only Erica person. Try. Otherwise, Ace Morlinde feel attraction to. <laughs> I picture Erica try like constantly having to go back to her armor and being like, you gotta loosen this up a little bit. Like my gains are too much. <laughs> I think the NPC I'd want to play is Orlander Beachtail. Yeah. You want to talk about Just an agent really? of chaos? That's right, man. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna say Orlander yeah, Beachtail. To really mess with stuff. I you think yeah. he just wakes up every morning and is like, where would I be least expected? <laughs> yeah. Who can I mess with the most? Oh, just you wait. Oh, just you wait. I, I also think it'd be really fun to uh, play as Grimton. Uh, similarly, because of the spontaneity of the character, I think is really fun. And a lot of that is is how yes, he is like as a it's player. It's interesting because I don't feel like I'm playing Grimton very chaotically or anything. Well, or no, like... but sometimes... You'll just say shit, dude. <laughs> you'll like you will shoot yourself in the foot just to make it because it makes sense. Like you're like, wow, this is dumb. I all but but Gr uh, Grimton would do it, but so we're gonna do it. Needs like to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it never truly yeah. feels that way because I, I guess I'm just like, yeah, this is fine. This is what my character would do. So it never feels compulsive or anything. I don't know. I love it. Like, don't ever stop. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd probably want to play Alric. You got the like home homebrew sort of class going on with the things going on i think learning new mechanics is fun like i don't know i just i just like Ulrich a lot i like the character um as far as npc i was gonna say orlander beach tale but now i gotta think of something different <laughs> i think it'd be fun to play i think it'd be interesting to play as um all real and try to get into that uh, that headspace all real's good oh yeah Mm -hmm. Does Stormhawk count as an NPC? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask one of Sarah. We, we, we touched on this a little bit, but uh, what would it take to get Morlinde into Arc 3? The destruction of Nuisatawas. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, a, a meteor completely wipes out Nuisatawas and she has nothing back there. She goes into her bad girl arc. <laughs> All leather. <laughs> Wait, that's not vegan. All vegan leather. All leather. <laughs> All vegan. Leather. It, it would take a lot. Uh, honestly, like I, I like Morlinde a lot, but I've always played like elves and druids and wizardy things, and I'm, I'm tired of playing that character type. So it's kind of like if she could somehow not be a druid. If she could not be Morlinde anymore. <laughs> yeah, then I'd be like, that's cool, but like. 
nah, uh, I'm, I'm ready to try something else. So What if you were a druid and you thought you were like channeling your power through like these fey energies or whatever, but some demon had actually tricked you and then you like just find out you're actually a warlock one day? Ooh. Still, I I literally don't even want to be a controller. Like, I don't want to do these <laughs> stupid spells anymore. I, I know you like specifically said that earlier, but I it made me no I that would be really those cool. Two dots, like just now, like what plot if twist. You thought you were a wizard, turns out yeah. you're a warlock. If something like like stripped her of all connection to uh, anything spiritual, anything magicy, and she was just like had to become like a ranger or some something crazy 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 would have to happen because i I'm, i really don't play drew anymore but also like i think the character has done a lot of growing and i think it would be interesting to like let that rest and start something new so i also think part of it is like Marlinde did a lot in arc one things have taken an interesting turn in arc two that i didn't expect that i really really like but I also think, you know, it, it, it's enough and it's time for for many reasons. Steven, speaking of warlocks and s- such, how do patrons work? Oh, like in, I was like, well, they subscribe and they give <laughs> no, us not, money. And, <laughs> <laughs> like warlock patrons. Right, right. I also thought that when I saw the comments. Yeah, that, that, funny. that took me a second. Do we really have a whole lot of like I guess have we even really interacted with a lot of patron like deities like Ulrich has a sort of like patron spirit I guess um but I'm not sure we've really directly encountered a lot of patron deities have we I mean I guess Bahamut has kind of answered my prayer but before but let's ask the question of how do they work before we get into who are they uh patrons as I understand them are like deific if not necessarily god like full-on gods themselves so sometimes i think they can be like minor pantheon kind of stuff but they are like of a people or of a like a certain thing um i really don't know like super well like mechanics has always been bad a bad thing for me all i really know about patrons is that like they're very concerned with like a certain people or or a certain like group and they aren't necessarily like high gods, like high pantheon, they can be lower and and a little weaker. Whenever you think of a warlock, right, you think of someone who has gotten their power from a deity of some sort, right? And so basically, I guess the question could be, how did Ulrich multi-class, you know, from like ranger to I see, no, yeah, that makes sense. Like where did Um, that power come from? And and how how did that Where work? Where did that power come from? Um, I think back to when we started that multi class. It happened. Your spooky sword. Yes, it was my sword. That's what I was gonna say. Which I can't not think of as Nightblood um, from Brandon Sanderson's books. But also, like, it's not just because I picked up a spooky sword. Like, I had to be in the right like emotional place at the right time as well. Mm-hmm. While I'm sure that there is some sort of like preternatural force beyond the blade itself that is potentially acting through me, I'm not possessed, I guess. Like it comes internally as well. I think it's sort of like we were talking about earlier with gods and how like they need worshipers to be strong. It's less that like my patron or whatever just like exists and then I picked from a list and a brochure or something and more that like I naturally found myself working my way ideologically and emotionally toward this uh like existing power portfolio and what it is a patron of does that make sense like when we were in the underdark right uh i think it was at the beginning of arc two right maybe torog is your patron you don't even know that (laughs) yeah maybe that can now be a reveal at some point like your patron comes calling mechanically yes like warlocks have a patron but like alric doesn't necessarily it's not like alric was like i'm gonna go pick a patron like it's more that i've just started drifting toward this but and like yeah 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 i don't necessarily think all warlocks know like picked out their patron i think that 
there, there's definitely a point where a patron could pick a chosen champion, you know, and right. bequeath them with power. Yeah. Right, um, and I think maybe that even be, unknowingly. Yeah, I think that would be really cool to have like some sort of reveal later. That'd be a lot of fun. That's a very Ian question. <laughs> it is a very Ian question. Quick, quick plug for DM Shower Thoughts. That's a great podcast. They also put out some super dope videos. Ian is very, very, very interested in not just like D&D and tabletop games in general, but like how human beings interact with those. Cool. He cares a lot about the mechanics, but he also cares a lot about how like real players and real people interact with those mechanics. So just a small plug. They're really cool. A small plug? Small. There's two questions for Zach, but I'll just do one for now. Does Ilaris regret killing Leovold? <laughs> I, I think the answer is definitely no. yes. <laughs> we don't get into a lot of combat, so it's hard somewhat to convey. But I think Ilaris is sort of overwhelmed by his own power in a way right now. I don't think he meant to kill Leovold, and it kind of just happened very easily. Because I thought that fight was going to go much longer, and then Leovold just kind of died. He's a person. I was like, oh. He's just a... He, he's not a god. He's just he's a dude a that's really pissed at you. robot. He's not a dragon. There's no destiny in his blood. I understand that he's just a dude, but I figured the fight would be a little bit more back and forth than me like attacking him like one time and then him literally dying. And then Alaris stood over his crumpled body and said, I smite thee. <laughs> I expected more. So there was that moment where Alaris is like, wow, this is, this is real. I didn't necessarily mean to do that. And then there was a, a few episodes later where he fireballed that room and killed three people <laughs> and also wasn't necessarily trying to just kill a bunch of people and then they all died. I would be willing to argue that like a lot of like people in the real world who have killed someone else, particularly like soldiers in war, they do all of this training that involves taking a human life. But then there's that moment where that first moment where like actually happens and it's I feel like it's probably a little unexpected honestly like oh my god I did it it happened and I feel like that's kind of how Alaris was like you had all of this power and knowledge but you and like technically it is used for combat but you it like didn't really connect with you that like that could kill someone until you did it fighting monsters or whatever creatures you know and yeah. is different than fighting someone that you've grown up with and then killing them in basically the blink of an eye which is why he probably hasn't really, you know, Processed obviously talked much about the the, the whole Leovold thing. It's kind of like, let's just keep pushing that to the back burner and we'll not, not worry about it. And also, I think it might be kind of the reason that he wants to join the Keepers of Reflection or whatever, mm -hmm. which who knows if we'll actually get back to that. As penance. Uh, he might be trying to do that as like a picking up where Leovold stopped, you know. Interesting. Because they don't know that he's... They know he's missing. He's not around, right? but... Nobody knows he's dead except yeah. for us. <laughs> he hasn't reported uh... in a while. Uh... I wonder how he is. <laughs> hmm. Maybe there should be like an anonymous letter sent or something. <laughs> That's probably just one part of the reason. There's obviously other reasons that would be beneficial to be part of the Keepers of Reflection or whatever, but um, I think that that is a part of it. 